0: This is an ABC podcast.
1: Hello, Ann Jones here. Just wanting you to know that this program has adult themes. I mean, it always does. It's not that it's unsuitable for kids or anything, but if you don't want to explain what a uh, certain body parts are to your offspring right now, you should listen back later. I mean, turn it off right now urgently because
2: it's coming. Sorry. <laughs> Her lab was littered with sort of gaudy purple, yellow and green plastic moulded vaginas which, like, <laughs> strange dildos everywhere. Anyway, when I arrived, she goes, ''You want to see a dolphin clitoris?" And <laughs> I was like, ''Yeah.''
1: Welcome to What the Duck, I'm Ann Jones, and today I'm joined by science reporter Belinda Smith to talk about all things clitoral <laughs> in the animal world. Oh, God, I just met her eyes, everyone. <laughs> it's so good i found you.
0: What? How did you come across this story? Uh, the pretty standard way. Uh, just university reached out and said... We've got this research paper coming out. Are you interested? And I took one look at it and I said, <laughs> "Yes, yes, I am." It's a, it's a part, it's a part of mystery, really, isn't it? The clitoris. We
1: all know that they exist, and then mm-hmm. it's sort of been ignored for so long.
0: Big time, massively. I mean, it's part of the tradition of science being biased towards men. This gender <laughs> bias that pervades society and especially science. Mm. You know, the clitoris—it it, it develops from the same bundle of cells as the penis in the in the embryo. Yet, I mean, <laughs> we know almost nothing about it until quite recently. Very recently, depressingly recently, in fact. So, what is? A clitoris. Mm. Well, in humans, it's an organ whose sole purpose is pleasure. I love that for her. (laughs) (laughs) I love that for us. (laughs) So, clitoris is made up of nerves and spongy tissue that swells up. It's a bit like an iceberg. So, what you see from the outside is just the tip, Ah. so to speak. It's kind of like a chonky wishbone wraps around the vagina. And... The very first comprehensive study of the anatomy of the clitoris was published in 1998.
1: Nineteen.
0: Ni- 1990. Nineteen. <sighs> okay, I'm just going to have to go off and fume in a corner for a while. That's astoundingly recent. Isn't it? And it was done just up the road. Really? At the Royal Melbourne Hospital. Oh, bless him! I know. By urologist, Professor Helen O'Connell, Australia's first female urologist. And
1: what did they what did they study? What did they find out?
0: Well, first of all, they they sort of mapped where it was in the in the female body. People who were born female, and um, in two thousand and five, they did the first MRI study to actually show in a real life human that the clitoris does swell during arousal, and so they could actually see it in action, so to speak.
3: Wow!
0: Um, and so that was two thousand and five. Yeah. Uh, God. I know. So if it's in humans,
1: you say it's used primarily for pleasure. And, Mm -hmm. I mean, that means that then you're having good sex, which means you might have more babies, right? So there is a biological sort of roll-on from it. Absolutely. You know, pleasure is good. But what is the clitoris used for out there
0: in the animal world? Mm. Well, if we look at our closest ape cousins, the bonobos, we see the clitoris is used to strengthen the matriarchal relationships.
1: Hell yeah! Normally when you think about social structures in the animal kingdom, we think of them being upheld by violence, led by males, you know, the big silverback dominating everyone around him, that sort of thing. But this is Lucy Cook, author of a book called simply and brilliantly, Bitch.
2: But in the case of the bonobos, the females don't compete with one another, because they're having sex with each other. So the females have a very particular kind of sex, which is described in scientific terms as GG rubbing, genital rubbing. They're given off oxytocin, they're bonding to one another, and those bonds mean that they are this powerful sisterhood that then can dominate the males. It's a really heartwarming story because, you know, the the paradigm for human ancestry uh, has always been the chimpanzee. Here we have a model that's completely different. It's it's matriarchal and peaceful. The bonobos, I'm told, when when neighbouring clans meet one another, Franz De who's studied them for many many years, says it's it's more like a, a picnic, um, albeit one where everybody's having sex with each other. Um, <laughs> I'm, <laughs> I'm sure, sure they exist. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> exactly. I love
1: that. I love that. So, wait, what does that actually mean, though? Does it mean, like, you know, you just show
0: it to each other? Like There's a lot of uh, mutual rubbing oh, of okay. the clitorises, yes. And um, those the hormones that are expelled in the body uh, can actually foster those relationships and make them closer because bonobos are a female-led species. More power to them.
1: Ah, clitoris.
0: (laughs) Who knew that it was a a weapon for peace? A tool for peace. (laughs) So do all animals have one? Well, we don't know. So as far as we know, all mammals have a clitoris and the most studied is the dolphin clitoris, actually. Uh, Aside from humans, dolphins. (laughs) And yeah, that brings us to Patty Brennan,
1: who is... A founding fairy godmother of clitoral research. Here's Lucy Cook talking about her.
2: Thank God for Patty Brannan, who's at, at Mount Holyoke in Massachusetts. I went to her lab. She's amazing. Literally looked like a strange, the weirdest sex shop you've ever been in your life. She basically <laughs> studies vaginas and clitorises and she takes moulds of them. And so this is the part we
0: heard earlier where Patty asked if Lucy wanted to see a dolphin clitoris.
2: Her lab was littered with plastic-moulded vaginas, which, you know, look like strange dildos everywhere. Anyway, when I arrived, she goes, you want to see a dolphin, clitoris?" And I was like, yeah. And of course the answer yes. is yes. 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 Who doesn't? <laughs> so she dived under her desk and opened up this, like, the biggest sort of Tupperware box I've ever seen in my life. I have her arm in, pulled out, like, various animal genitals that are sort of in this sort of formalin soup. Anyway, she pulled out this this dolphin clitoris. She that she basically she got a, she's got a deli meat slicer in her lap and she's done like fine grade slices of it. And she's she's shown that it's got exactly the same nerve nerves you know, and density of nerves that, that ours does. I mean, the the dolphin clitoris is is built for pleasure. You know, that's 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 not an accident. You know, that's happened for a reason.
1: I don't know that I expected to go down the route of like a meat slicer on a clitoris, but (laughs) science is weird that way, isn't it? It's gory at the same time as being pure wonder.
0: Exactly. You got to know what's inside something and what better way than to slice it with a meat slicer? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And they're like,
1: you know, you could probably get one at Aldi in the... the (laughs) Pretty freaking incredible. Like, I mean... I've heard and read a lot of things about dolphin sex habits, Mm. but I suppose I'd never heard anything about the females having such a role to play in the pleasurable act. Yeah, exactly. I
0: mean, bottlenose dolphins are quite renowned for their use of even things like sex toys in a way, Um, and they will have sex even outside of their reproduction kind of times. So even when they're not ovulating, they will still have sex. So. It, it, you know, it all all roads point to pleasure for the dolphin. Mm. And actually, when you look at the dolphin clitoris, it's kind of like, it's got a bit of an S-bend shape, and it's positioned in such a way that it would be almost impossible for the penis not to stimulate it God. during intercourse. So, Wait, you're saying
1: she's got a better design than we do? Oh, maybe dolphins have one up on her. Oh. <laughs> That's pretty amazing. And I suppose it does point towards the idea that it's important. Yes. That she's involved. Exactly. It takes two to tango
0: when it comes to reproduction.
1: Okay, mammals, uh, seagoing mammals included, probably all have
0: clitoris. Mm -hmm. Who else? So uh, some birds seem to have a clitoris. Ostriches have one. It's quite big. Really? Yeah. God. Yes. <laughs> Wait a second. I read something that they can be up to 20, maybe 20 centimetres long. It's a big bird. Come on. But, you know, that's a fairly big clitoris too.
1: Wow. Because, mm. you know, bird sex is renowned for being pretty quick. Yes. And also they have, well, they have a cloaca, does everything. Yes. yeah. And <laughs> it's true that for a female bird to present properly and be able to have cloaca-cloaca contact, they actually do have to have a protruding cloaca. Ah. So they have to sort of be into it. This is like a question I get quite a bit is like, what about inverted... I'm doing scare quotes, everyone. Rape in the animal kingdom. And in the case of birds, it's thought that that probably doesn't happen because she has to present Ah. in such a manner that she's into
0: it. Interesting. So that would make sense that there'd be some kind of... Erectile tissue there that would make that coupling yeah. possible.
1: Yeah, but it's so quick. Like I mean, it must be. Maybe it's super, super, super sensitive.
0: Okay, uh, so ostriches, yeah, uh, turtles, uh, lizards, and snakes. 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 Snakes have two clitorises. No. Oh yeah. Greedy. You, you better believe it. <laughs> so last year. A bunch of biologists, led by Megan Folwell from the University of Adelaide, published a study about, well, I guess, finding the snake clitoris.
3: (laughs) I slice down either side of the tail and I very carefully peel back the skin. And sometimes there'll be a layer of muscle over the top that you've got to kind of get through to find the hemiclitoris, and then sometimes it's just right there so in certain species like the cantil viper it was so blatantly there and it was so big that the scent glands had like moved down the sides and almost disappeared because this hemiclitoris took up the whole space.
1: Okay giant so what does bigger actually mean for snake clitoris?
0: Well they're, they're not entirely sure so they know they're there there's different sizes but Perhaps the size of a snake clitoris might be related to its lifestyle. So <laughs> if you're like a super active hunter, you're pursuing prey over rocky ground all day long, you probably don't want to be slithering around on a big, bulky, ultra-sensitive clitoris.
1: No, especially in the Australian climate. Oh, boy. Ouch.
0: Oh, forget it. <laughs> but if you're a sea snake, you know, having a chunky clitoris is not so much of a problem. Oh. So, that might be the reason between, you know, some, some snakes have a really thin clitoris, others are a bit meatier.
1: That is so fascinating. Mm. I mean, evolution, eh?
0: <laughs> Incredible.
1: Okay, so they've got these whopping big clitorises. <laughs> Wait a second, what is the plural of clitoris? Well, it's, it's clitoris oh. or, or clitorises. That's fine. They've got these potentially whopping big clitoris. Mm. <laughs> But what does this research actually mean? Like, I mean, why is it important?
0: Yeah, fair enough. I mean, look, part of it is just the sheer discovery, right? So, you know, this isn't the first time a snake's been dissected. And looking back over the literature, Megan and her crew, they found the snake clitoris has been misidentified quite a lot as maybe an underdeveloped penis, as you might see in some intersex individuals, or even scent glands, or perhaps just, you know, not acknowledged at all.
1: And... So I've got a question about that, though. Yeah. Did they identify it as a clitoris because they are female scientists? I quite, quite possibly.
0: Do you yeah. know what I mean? Because I mean,
1: like, they uh, would, were look at, not looking for it, but yeah. You know no, what I mean?
0: Yeah, no, no, totally. So, So Megan was looking at the shape of the vagina and she found in nine species that they all had these structures, differently shaped, differently sized, but they were all kind of in the same spot. And she thought, well this could be the snake clitoris. Why not? You know, mammals have them. <laughs> Why not snakes? So she put it to, you know, one of the other, one of the other biologists involved with the study. Uh, and she said, yeah, quite possibly. Um, and so that's sort of where it all came from.
1: Insane that this is only in like the last year or so.
0: Yeah. I mean, look, it took a female urologist to map out the human clitoris. Why not a female biologist to map out the the snake clitoris?
2: Yeah, well, here's Lucy Cook on a similar topic. It's really that simple. You know, science is all about asking questions. You ask questions that you're interested in, that are from your perspective. So, if science is dominated by males, that they're looking to the prism of being male, and they're like, "Oh, he looks like he's running a show." And you know, you see things from your perspective. Interested in the females, and they look like they're all dowdy, and they're all just mums, aren't they? They're not, there's nothing interesting there. So, it takes a female to come along and say, well, hang on, they look like they're being shagging around or what? you know, just, just to pay attention, basically. And I think that particularly what's really exciting is we're sort of benefiting now from this kind of a, the nineteen sort of 60s, 70s wave of feminism that's translated into science now and so a lot of this sexist bias is being overturned now.
1: And without that, people like Megan Folwell wouldn't have found out about the snake clitoris.
3: We now understand that the structure is present and we found nerves, which is a big indicator of tactile sensitivity. So we think that there's some form of stimulation, but we need to test further, some form of stimulation of the structure during or previous to mating, which makes a lot of sense considering the hemipenes kind of look like medieval torture devices. A medieval
1: torture device. I think we're probably going to have to take a step back here. And actually describe what a hemipeni is mm. because, yeah, I mean, I mean, all sorts of things come to my mind and none of them are probably factually correct.
0: <laughs> so snakes have two penises, thus hemipene. Two penis. They are great, greedy, greedy snakes, aren't they? I know, they? right? I mean, look, they're <laughs> making up their lack of limbs with extra penises and, and clitorises. <laughs> Here's Jenna Crow-Riddell from La Trobe University.
4: The hemipenes, something you discover pretty quickly about snakes if you spend any time in a museum. Because if you walk along the museum shelves, there'll be all these animals that have died and been basically embalmed and fixed. And as herpetologists would fix snakes, they would often fix them with the hemipenes inflated and inverted outside of the body. So it's something you can see really easily on these preserved snakes. And they're often really quite bizarre structures, really. So,
0: you know, they are all sorts of shapes and sizes. Some are barbed. Others have like backward-facing hooks and spines. They, they, they kind of tuck them in and then when it's time to do the deed, they pop one out and kind of inflate it. Whoa. Yeah, and then that's what they use. They just use them one at a time. It's not I'm imagining
1: some... some sort of whoopee cushion with spikes.
0: <laughs> <laughs> if only <it> made the, <laughs> the humorous sound as well <laughs> when it's inflated.
1: So the hooks and things, I am assuming, are to ensure that it's him. It's it's to ensure that it's him that inseminates that individual female. And it doesn't really matter the damage he does to her. That is the thinking. Mm. Mm-hmm.
0: Nasty. Yeah. But that's, that's nature for you, isn't it? Well, it is. But uh, <laughs> there might be more to the story, given that we now know about the clitoris. <laughs> She might just be into spikes and stuff. <laughs> so two penises, two
1: clitorises. We've got to ask then, how do snakes actually have sex out there in the wild?
0: Bow, chicka bow, yeah, kind of
1: thing. long-winded affair.
0: Well, first of all, you have to make sure the relevant bits align. And a horny snake might have <laughs> a bit of trouble figuring out which is their partner's head end and which is the tail. <laughs> so... <laughs> So there's a lot of tongue flicking to figure out what's oh. what. They're sensing the environment. Um, and now I might let Jenna Crow riddell who's an evolutionary biologist at La Trobe Uni and involved with Megan's study, uh, she can take it from here. Yeah, yeah, good
4: idea. Not many people know, but it's often quite a sinuous interaction when snakes have sex. So they'll entwine their bodies together. There's a lot of sort of head bobbing from the male. He'll sort of vibrate his head along her body. He'll align eventually his cloaca with hers. And that's through sort of sensory stimulation. And he'll do these behaviors like hook his tail around hers called tail lifting. And then once that happens, you know, it's been described, the female will do something called cloacal gaping. So she can is in control of opening the cloaca, which is where the reproductive organs are stored. And then the male's Hemipene, just one, will inflate sort of out of the body and be inserted into the cloaca. So could this be partially for pleasure then? Yeah, I mean, well,
0: it would make sense, right, that the female would get something out of this sexy, snaky time. So Megan mentioned before testing if the clitoris is stimulated during sex and there are some pretty snazzy lab techniques, 3D modelling, uh, that could give some idea of that. So if the nerves are concentrated perhaps near the skin um, and connect to other organs that are involved in touch, then that could be a sign that it is perhaps a pleasure organ like it is in humans. It does beg the
1: question whether snakes have orgasms. I mean, this is a question that I mean we actually don't know for no. a lot of the animal kingdom is of whether course. they actually orgasm.
0: Absolutely, yes. Oh, there are so few animals outside of humans that have been studied for orgasms. I think I feel like there are some apes yeah. where we're pretty sure that they do orgasm, but how I mean do you measure that?
1: Yeah, and like, and what would the look on a snake's face be?
0: <laughs> snake's O face. <laughs>
1: When there is this potential for mutual pleasure, Mm. what does this mean for evolution, for
0: successful mating? Mm. Um, Well, look, if it feels good for both parties, they could get it on more often and perhaps for longer. Um, You know, traditionally we think about sex and sexual selection as being all about the males, right? Yeah. They fight, they're in control, they take what's theirs kind of thing.
4: Jenna again. But a different strategy is where the females have the choice and so often females are bigger in this situation. So then it becomes more about seduction from the male. Now that we know they have a hemiclitoris, maybe it's around how well the male performs in stimulating the female and that will convince her to do this cloacal gaping and allow intromission to occur.
0: So we know there's this massive range in snake penis size and shape. And now we know that clitorises are the same. They've got different sizes, different shapes, lengths, muscularity, that kind of thing. And, like, now we're sort of at the point where perhaps you could even tell species apart based on the clitoris. Like, It could be a diagnostic feature. It could well be. Like, they <laughs> do for the penis already. So, you know, this diversity suggests that there's some kind of selection pressure, a function to shape these clitorises to be the way they are. And, you know, that function, why not Pleasure.
2: The diversity that we see. I mean, you know, some female clitorises um, have spines on them, some of them have bones in them, some of them um, they're positioned in all sorts of different places, you know, some are right in the very the, the entrance of the vagina, some of them are much further away. So, you know, this is this diversity can only be as a result of of evolutionary pressures, selection pressures. You know, for a long time. It was argued that basically we had males to thank for our orgasms. The only reason females had any sexual pleasure was because in development, we have a shared genital blueprint. What goes on to become the penis, goat becomes the clitoris, right, and it's this sort of shared blueprint. Female pleasure was completely anomalous. It didn't have a function, which is just nuts. Yeah, that's one way of putting
1: it, Lucy Cook. good I found you So good I found you Feeling the love of... Well, right it's crazy right to me that you. it sort of sounds revolutionary, you know. Hmm. In this day and age, it sounds revolutionary that we would be centering female pleasure as a selection mechanism. Mm. And, I mean, it sort of, like, pains me to say it, but it also brings out our own
0: biases. Absolutely, yeah. I mean, uh, the sooner we recognise them, the, the the faster the tide will turn, but gosh, I mean, there's still so much to know about female pleasure and anatomy and, in not just other species, but also ourselves, right? Like this, the snake clitoris, just one aspect. What about all the other animals out there? <laughs>
1: It's true, and I don't know if the researchers would be willing, but I've got a bit of a business proposition for you, and I'm thinking sex toys shapes like snake hooks. <laughs> I reckon there'd be a market for it. There's a group out there that are going to enjoy hooks, <laughs> spikes, you know, all the, this. Look... Uh... <laughs> the, the problem is whether the snake females have got any cash to buy it. Oh, this is true. Oh, yes. <laughs> Anyway, Belle, oh. it's always a pleasure. <laughs> 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 oh, Anne. I've said it before and I'll say it again. I have no idea why anyone puts up with me. Belle Smith is a science reporter for ABC Science and a gem. And you also heard from three kick-ass scientists, Megan Folwell from the University of Adelaide, Jenna crow an evolutionary biologist at La Trobe Uni, and Lucy Cook, author of Bitch. The Revolutionary Guide to Sex, Evolution and the Female Animal. And make sure you follow What the Duck, the podcast, because we've got more to come from Lucy. And it's good.
2: But, you know, even if you're a sage-grouse and you're the top cock at the lek, you've got you've to listen to the female in order to get laid. So, you know. I'm
1: Ann Jones, and Patricia Ladgrove and I produce What the Duck on the lands of the Wadawurrung and Ghana people.